And I'm Mark Engler. We're coming to you from the Bay Area of California. And today we are going to talk about the ASHA 2019 convention in Orlando, Florida. Yeah. Did you have a good time there? Oh, it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Talked to so many great therapists. Um, Yeah, yeah, it was really fun. Yeah, I think it was really interesting this time being on the exhibitor side versus normally (laughs) going as an attendee. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you gone to ASHA a lot before this one? Uh, no, this was actually my first national conference. I've been to a lot of state conferences, but uh, yeah, it, it's usually so much money and so much travel to get to the national one. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is my third one. I've been to Philadelphia and Los Angeles, though, but it, this was really different because we were at our Best Coast Beach booth the whole time, which was really fun. And um, we got to meet a lot of different SLPs. You know, normally, because I work in a school, I only go to sessions that have other school SLPs, but we got to talk to a really wide range of people this time. Yeah, and it was good to be on the other best coast. Uh, I lived on the East Coast for 13 years, around Philly area, so yeah, it's good to be back on the East Coast too. Yeah, same. I lived on the East Coast for a while too, so it was great being back there. Um, what were some of your favorite parts about being an exhibitor? Um You know, I'm always into products. I really like seeing what people have to offer and what new innovations are coming up in the speech and language world. Um, So to me, that's really exciting. And I love to see the way that people set up their booths and the the care they put into displaying things. Um, To me, that's that's pretty neat. Yeah. I really liked um, the booth next to us was Slantboard, Mm -hmm. which is a really cool way for SLPs to kind of do mirror work with some of their kids. They had a lot of traffic. Um, we were in a really good spot. We were behind this giant Pasty Mirror booth, which had its own photo Instagram station. So a lot of that traffic came into us, which was really fun. Yeah, yeah. There were some really cool things right around us. How do you feel about our swag situation that we had? Oh, I think I think we had it going on. It was pretty cool. We had some good swag. On day one, <laughs> we had... We had free coffee. Coffee, the best. After walking around eight hours a day, you need that to keep you going. Free laminators. Yes, we asked 1,200 people if they would like to win a free laminator. We gave away six laminators over the three days. Oh, and there is my dog, (laughs) our guest star. Always. Um, On the second day, we had iced tea in four different flavors, and it was really fun because people had fun mixing some of the flavors together. I thought the funniest thing was that everybody who came up for tea asked if it was thickened. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know. People thought we were like a, a dysphagia group at that point. Yeah. We also had a lot of um, people thinking we were a West Coast staffing company yeah. because our name is Best Coast Beach <laughs> and we have our beautiful um, branding with palm trees and ocean blue skies. We gave away some stickers and um, most importantly, though, we gave away three free months of our product. Yeah. Yeah, it's a wonderful promotion that we did uh, specifically for ASHA, where we gave therapists three months of free premium access uh, to our web platform. Um, Yeah, it looks like we have a lot of users enjoying it right now. What's really cool is that we got to tell people that the app is actually free to use if you're just checking it out. So um, we can't wait to tell you more about the Best Coast Speech app and a little bit more about ASHA. So with us, we have Arielle Byrne. Um, Ariel, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for joining us. 
Of course. Thank you guys for having me here. So you're in Philadelphia, right? Yes, I am. What? Tell us a little bit about working at CHOP. So I really enjoyed working at CHOP. Um, I became interested in the role that I'm in because there, it was needed um, that someone would come in with an interest in working with children with hearing loss, mm-hmm. but would still want to keep all their other skills going and not only work with kids with hearing loss. So <clears throat> I get to be on the cochlear implant team, um, be part of the candidacy process for determining um, children who are good candidates for cochlear implants and then work with them after cochlear implantation as well. I also get to work with children who have hearing needs or with kids who don't have hearing loss and coming are coming in for other speech or language needs, um, primarily an outpatient, um, but occasionally also an inpatient. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and congratulations on your poster at ASHA. Very impressive. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. It was fun to present it. It's something that we've been working on for, like, the topic we've been working on for probably about two years. And then we decided to do the poster um, for ASHA this year. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Tell us about um, your poster and um, your study. Okay. So, um, like I was saying, I'm on the cochlear implant team, and often we are seeing uh, children who have severe to profound hearing loss in at least one ear, and generally, if they only have severe to profound hearing loss in one ear and are getting a cochlear implant in that ear, the other ear has got at least some degree of hearing loss. Mm -hmm. However, recently, we've been seeing some kids come in uh, who have single-sided deafness, and that means they have severe to profound hearing loss in one ear, and the other ear has normal hearing. Mm -hmm. So this is a new population of kids that are coming in um, for cochlear implants. So everything is, of course, evolving and changing, and um, so our poster outlines what we did as speech Mm -hmm. therapists um, on the cochlear implant team at CHOP to figure out how we're going to give therapy to these kids. Mm-hmm. So the first thing we did was we reached out to other um, centers around the country who have cochlear implant programs. And we asked them, what are you guys doing? We're not sure what to do. Um, we reached out, I think, to maybe between four to six different centers. And one of the centers said that they were doing some direct connect with Bluetooth. So, for example, um, the child would be doing um, a program that would ask them to do an auditory discrimination task, but through their cochlear implant. So a recording might say, click on the cat, and they would be shown a cat, hat, mat, and rat, and they would have to discriminate that word. So that was something that one center was doing. And that way they're really isolating the cochlear implant? Exactly, because it would stream right in there and we would be sure they weren't hearing, they would not be hearing anything through their normal hearing ear. Okay. Um, So that's what one center was doing. But in general, nobody really had a protocol. Nobody, and of course, you know, working through the iPad or recording, recorded program is, is a good thing to start with, but you don't have, 
the scaffolding, the cueing that mm-hmm. you can do with giving therapy. So then we went to the research and we did a literature review. Mm-hmm. But still, nothing was really coming up about how to do therapy. So we kind of had to be creative. We trialed and mirrored a couple of things um, in our center with the first couple of cases that we had come in. And we found um, using the audiology booth to be the most successful. We would wear a remote microphone, which is streaming right into the child's cochlear implant. Okay. So, yeah, So, but they would be in the sound booth, so they wouldn't hear anything through their normal hearing ear. Oh, mm-hmm. The benefit of them being in the sound or in the audiology booth would be that there's that window. So I can watch how the child's responding. So I can say, find the um, monkey that's wearing a hat and color his nose yellow. So I can give them a direction and then watch how they follow the direction through the glass. Yeah. The other benefit, yeah, of the sound booth is um, there's a speaker. So if I wanted to explain something to them or, you know, give them positive feedback, mm-hmm. I could push the speaker button and be speaking through the sound field system so their normal hearing ear which already understands speech, would understand what I was saying if I needed to clarify anything. So that we found was the best um, means to deliver therapy. However, we are very aware that that's not going to be realistic for settings that don't have an audiology booth, like a school. Yeah. Yeah. Just thinking that. Right. Exactly. And, um, you know, some kids who live close, we could bring them in for weekly outpatient therapy. But a lot of the kids we see come from far away as, you know, um, pretty decent drive out in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. So we had to get creative. And we talked on the phone with a lot of different speech pathologists at schools, just sort of brainstorming ideas. So there's a part of our poster that has um, a table and it says what you would do in an ideal setting, in a setting with some resources, and then in a setting with limited resources. So in a setting with um, some resources, we were thinking if the child is in one room and the clinician is in another room, if there could be an aide or somebody that would sit with the child in the room that they're in, we could continue to use the remote microphone. If it were, I guess we'll still talk about a clinic or an outpatient setting, an observation room, the clinician can give directions and watch how the child responds, um, you know, with the video or an observation room. Um, And then we would set up a baby monitor so the clinician can give directions to the child through the baby monitor. In a different setting, um, let's say a school setting, there's a couple of options. One option would be if the clinician and the child are in the same room, we could try noise canceling headphones. So the child would wear that and that would cover their normal hearing ear. And then the clinician can use 
and just speak, you know, be sitting next to the child um, and speaking to them. And they would be only hearing um, speech through their cochlear implant. We would, of course, by the way, um, be covering up speech reading cues as well to make sure they're not using that visual input. To uh, what what an interesting idea. Speech. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't have naturally thought of that solution. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's an option. Um, another option, if we were, especially I think if the child's getting more advanced with their skills, at the very beginning, we just want to see that they're hearing at all and detecting speech. So in the beginning, it's kind of just, oh, I'm going to say a sound, like raise your hand when you hear it or try to repeat back if you heard it. Um, when they're getting a little bit more advanced, then we're giving them directions, we're asking them questions. Um, then we could try the separate rooms as well. So if an aide sits with a child and uh, the clinician is in another room and maybe can read a short story from another room and can use that um, remote microphone to connect right to their cochlear implant, the clinician can then come back in the room to ask them um, questions about what they heard. Great. And um, would you mind just talking really briefly about that hierarchy of complexity when it comes to hearing tasks? Yes, that's such a good question because that's actually like integral to the therapy. So um, when we're working on listening skills, the first level is simply awareness of sound. And that usually Mm -hmm. includes awareness of voices, environmental sounds, and the six ling sounds. So with awareness, the child does not need to know, you know, what they're hearing discriminate one sound from another. They just need to show us, oh, I heard that. I heard a sound. Sure. The next level is called suprasegmental discrimination. And that level, children are not only hearing sounds, but they're starting to recognize differences. Um, And usually this starts with really big noticeable differences, like vocal length. So a long sustained sound versus a short repetitive sound or a one syllable word as opposed to a two or three syllable word. This also includes discriminating pitch, loudness, rhythm, all those big features. Once a child has that skill, their listening becomes more fine tuned um, and they're able to discriminate um, one word from another. That's you know, might be the same length. So house versus dog. And then their skills in that level become even more fine-tuned and they can start to discriminate minimal pairs. And then also pick out keywords, I would say, in a sentence um, would go in that level as well. So like if I said to them, go get your ball and put it um, by the door. They might not understand all the little words, but if they can pick out ball and door, they're probably going to follow that direction appropriately. Sure. The final level is comprehension, and that's really being able to put the whole message together um, and really hearing and understanding um, all of it. So if a child has comprehension, then they're able to um, answer questions in conversation, listen to a story and answer questions. Um, And as they get older, those tasks, obviously increase in complexity. Um, so that would be the auditory hierarchy. Thank you so much. I, yeah. You know, without having had much experience working with uh, kids with 
this kind of hearing loss, mm -hmm. I, it would be really mm -hmm. easy to skip a step in complexity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I would say this is something at the hospital that we're so used to doing is um, talking to speech therapists at schools because we're very aware that it is such a um, nuanced area and you might not have a child like this on your caseload for a while. And yeah. when it comes yeah. up again, um, we're always happy to help guide the therapy. Yeah, that's really awesome. Um, I know you've touched on this a little bit. But just to uh -huh. um, go more into the conversation about how um, all the great strategies from your poster can be applied in schools. So mm -hmm. just for example, um, last year I was working in, I was doing therapy out of a room where I was one of seven providers um, who were in the room simultaneously delivering intervention to groups of kids. So there could be up to like 20 kids at one time in the same room receiving intervention um, what kind of strategies or activities would you suggest in that kind of situation in terms of placement, even if we do have, um, access to things like, uh, music or audiobooks or, uh, movies and TV, is there like an arrangement you would recommend it? Cause I know a lot of SLPs struggle with space and having a confidential space for our kids, um, with hearing loss. Yes. So... My recommendation for this, like, very specialty population, I would just say, even if it's not a traditional therapy room, like, any one-on-one -on -one space you can find, and, you know, even with the stairwell, if people are coming and going, you would probably at least have certain pockets of silence, um, more so than in that, you know, the closed-off room where there's many people speaking, so I guess that'd be my best recommendation. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like that's, like, a good practical strategy. Um, yeah. I know in your practice activities on your poster, you listed movies and TV. I know a lot of SLPs nowadays are kind of integrating like short YouTube clips into their therapy, like Pixar shorts or Simon's Cat, um, because they're free and kids really like them. Um, what's mm -hmm. an example of what I could do with like um, a little short video like that in terms of an activity? For this population, I would look, of course, for something with dialogue. I would want them to be listening to what the characters are saying. Mm -hmm. um, and a way that you can use it in therapy is if the child is early in the CI process, um, I would have them, or I would say not super, super early. We want to make sure that they're at least having some level of word understanding. Watch the video and be listening through their cochlear implant and using the visuals integrate of like what they're seeing integrated with the dialogue that they're hearing to make sense of what's happening. Um, and in contrast, I would also try this activity when they're much later in practice. Um, if they're really able to understand sentences, follow basic conversation, um, I would have them only listen to the dialogue. So not be watching the video um, and have to hear and pick up on the story and then answer questions about it. Uh, would it also be uh, possible to do discrimination activities um, yeah. with some videos, you know, maybe that play one instrument at a time or a different animal sound one at a time? Definitely. I think that's a great idea. Uh, I'll especially actually jump on that about the animal sounds. So animal sounds are really good for that second level, super segmental discrimination because they naturally have sound patterns in them. So if you're, you know, saying, all right, it's going to be a farm animal, listen, 
and then you played that cow saying moo, um, that's going to sound very different from a duck who would go quack, quack, quack. So when a child's at early level of auditory skill development, they might not clearly be hearing those specific consonants and vowels, sure. but they're going to hear that long sustained sound for moo, and that's going to help them infer well, it's definitely not going to be a duck. Hmm, it's got to be a cow. It's got to be a duck. So using those big patterns with animals um, is going to be a great activity, especially when they're at that level of super segmental discrim. Okay. Nice. Ariel, thank you so much for talking about your poster. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you for like, the I contribution like you're so making. <laughs> yeah, this is really informative. Yeah. And it's, it's not therapy that we get to hear a ton about in schools. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. So I'm sure it was like a very busy presenting your poster. Um, but other than that, were there any like cool sessions that were notable? Mark and I were at our booth all three days at ASHA. So we yeah. missed the fun of going <laughs> okay. to check out sessions. You did a great job though. <laughs> Thank, <laughs> Thank you. you. Yeah. So we're having some FOMO. So share with us some other cool sessions that you went to, if any. Sure. Okay. So... I went to a talk about velar pharyngeal insufficiency, which for me, that's very much an area that I feel like I know, you know, very minimal about. And it was a two hour talk, which was so helpful just to learn about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, you know, what that really is, what are speech patternings to help determine if, you know, we suspect a child has a VPI, and then just cool little assessment tools that we can use that we already have or that we can get really easily like a straw. Um, if you, you can kind of use a straw, the um, presenter was demonstrating as a stethoscope where the child or where you put one part in your ear and the other part in the child's near their nose or their mouth as they're speaking so you can really tell where airflow is going to help determine um if there could be a vpi so that was wow that's wow. incredible <laughs> who thought of that <laughs> yeah that is really interesting yeah absolutely yeah. and uh so i would assume that uh kids with vpi would generally present as very hypernasal yes exactly so she was talking to us it was you know vpi was the main topic but she also talked about um, things that would make them more hyponasal, which would be maybe like enlarged tonsils or adenoids. Uh -huh. um, and so we practice sort of listening for both and trying to figure out what we're thinking. But yeah, Mark, you're absolutely right. Um, hypernasal would help us indicate maybe a VPI. Um, cool. Any other sessions you want to talk about, Ariel? Hmm. Let's it's, it's okay if nothing comes to mind. There's no pressure. <laughs> There is another really good one I thought that was about um, storytelling and how we all, as people, we all have stories to tell and stories are what help us connect. And there's a lot of um, disagreement out there in the world and in politics and the way to bring it back to a way that we can all agree on something is that we all have feelings. We all have things that, you know, motivate us to make the decisions we make. But if we can really bring it back to the basics, um, name your feeling, name it to tame it, we can actually have um, 
a discourse. So this talk was about teaching kids how to label their feelings and how to use stories to talk about why they did certain things like, um, you know, making, um, making your feelings and thoughts and actions into stories because we all relate to stories. Yeah. So that was, that was a cool talk. And I like how she kind of tied it to a, a bigger picture of why we're trying to do this. No, that sounds great. I love all the, the different approaches with socio-emotional curriculum that we're seeing nowadays. Yes, that it was very, very um, social-emotional, mm-hmm, driving, yep, all that. Wow, that's so cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, okay, now Mark is going to put you on the spot and introduce a new segment of the podcast. I am so ridiculously excited about this. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so uh, I actually thought of this this morning, and I thought, oh. why not? Why not? We're going to do it. Um, so, so here is your challenge. Uh, okay. I want you to just look around the room, whatever your room you're in, and pick three items that are small, relatively portable. And the challenge to our listeners <laughs> is you will try to come up with a therapy activity for the three items that she gives us. Let's do it. Okay. So I, I am looking at um, this little plant pot, and it's tin. Okay. okay. So it's not breakable if you drop it. It's okay. It's pediatric friendly. <laughs> <laughs> what else you got for us? All right. That's the thing. I'm looking around my apartment for something that is um, not breakable. Like commonplace, hopefully. Let's go with a DVD case. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Why not? We'll throw it out there. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we got DVDs here. Okay, so (laughs) you have DVDs, Ariel? Really? <laughs> okay. I'm looking at Crazy Stupid Love, Catching Fire, Hunger Games, all sorts. The third item is it's like okay, it's a block. I have decorative letters and they're each like blocks, decorative blocks that each say a letter. So you can have the letter B. Okay, great. So our three items listeners are a tin pot planter, a DVD case, and a decorative block. So I made it hard. I didn't do it on purpose. Yeah, you made it hard. That's okay. That's why it's called a challenge. That's why it's fun. That's why it's called a challenge. So let's see. We will reveal the next episode some therapy ideas that you all had um, for Ariel's challenge. Yeah, hopefully there aren't some poor kids out there just saying, like, what is going on with my speech therapist? She brought a DVD (laughs) case. A decorative block. I I think in in my room, I I do have a tin, I do have an empty tin pot that I use to hold pencils in. And then I have Uh some of the super duper here builder CD. So I have a DVD type holder. Yeah. We'll let CD cases slide. Yeah. CD cases definitely work. And then I've got blocks. They don't have letters on it, but I've got some blocks. Yeah. Any block should should do. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
So I guess, yeah, I mean, those three things are in my room. I'm sure they're in everyone else's room too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, Ariel, thank you so much for coming on with us and many congratulations again on your poster. Yeah. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed speaking with you. Yeah. Thank you, Rai. Thanks for your interest. It's, it's great to be here to talk about it. Thanks for listening along today with Best Coast Beach. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Best Coast Beach. Our Facebook page is called Best Coast Beach. And our website is bestcoastbeach.com. Check out our blog and the app. We would love to get feedback and hope to see you on our next adventure. You can listen to our podcast at... Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Apple Podcast, Breaker, CastBox, Blue Product, Overcast, Podcast, Pocket Cast, Radio, Public, Spotify, and Stitcher. Perfect. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.